0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Whedon, Illinois. After eight plane rides, six layovers, three hours of driving, 65 total hours, that's a round trip, I arrived in the western highlands of Papua New Guinea in a little town called Kujip, where there's a place called Kujip Nazarene Hospital where my son Matt lives with his wife Tammy and my two grandkids and it was the highlight of my sabbatical. And the Sunday after we arrived, Matt said, we're going to a bush church. So I've been to to a bush church, but this was a bush church to beat all bush churches. So first of all, we had to go over two rivers, which meant two perilous, rickety bridges, totally unsafe. If you're an engineer this morning, we thank God for you. We thank God for the work that you do. It's very needed. So they're so unsafe that all the passengers have to get out of the car and walk over the bridge while my son Matt tries to align the wheels with the rickety logs just right so he doesn't land 30 feet in the river below. Now he's a daredevil, but he said, I will never go back there unless they fix that bridge. (laughs) So we arrived at Kendapai. Nazarene Church, in the bush. About 80 to 100 people, men, women, children, stood in the clearing in the jungle, and they greeted us beside their church. They greeted us with hundreds of beautiful flower petals on the ground, a mountain of fresh fruit and vegetables for us that the women had picked from their gardens that week. And then we went into that building. We sat on a dirt floor with these rugged beams holding the whole structure together that the men had gone up into the mountains and cut and brought down to build their church. And we sat on that floor and we worshiped and we sang and we sang. And oh, how they love to sing, singing and singing. The pastor is a beautiful, godly guy. He's got one arm, only his right arm. So he led praise songs playing the guitar with one hand. It was pretty good, you know. I can't even play it with two hands, but he can play it with one. And I was so humbled by that church. They, The women of the church, they were collecting money for global missions that morning. Now, you might think, oh, we give them money for global missions. No. They're like, we love the Lord Jesus, he saved us, we wanna give money to global missions. Who knows, for all I know, maybe they're giving to global missions in America, I don't know. But that little church lived a life of praise with their lips and with their bodies. I had this image as I came back. I had this image, it's like, which I so often do, and I know Bishop Stewart does too because he's been to some of these places. It's like the global church, these, these places that are so small and so without money, without resources. It's like they're, in, especially in this area, they're actually down the road from us on the path with Jesus. They're ahead of us. And they're like, they're like a big sister calling to her younger siblings, and they're like waving their arm, and they're going, come on. I gotta show you something. There is something amazing up here. You gotta see it. I want you to experience something that I've experienced. I want you to experience the living God, the Lord Jesus. You know, in a way, the book of Psalms is like that at well as well. At so many points, we find this, this like this hand, the hand of the Lord, waving us forward and saying, Come, worship the Lord. Let us bow down before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. He has made us, not us. So come, come and worship. The book of Psalms has been called the mirror of the soul because it has so many emotions and so many kinds of prayers. Everything that you can experience as a human being, they're in the book of Psalms. All of the emotions are in the book of Psalms the bad ones, the good ones. And we've been looking at the book of Psalms all summer as not just a book of prayers, but a book that teaches us how to pray, that puts us in a school of prayer, we've been saying. Last Sunday, Pastor Will preached a sermon on Psalms of Lament, and and I encourage you to to listen to the, 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 the sermons in this series. So all throughout, we've been hearing psalms of longing, and psalms of lament, and psalms of quiet trust, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and and psalms of repentance, against you, you only have I sinned, O God, blot out my sin, cleanse me with your hyssop. And then near the end of the psalms, though, as we actually turn to about Psalm 145, there's 150 in total. The Psalms take a really sharp turn and they go in one direction and pretty much in one direction only, with only one kind of prayer. It's a prayer of praise. I want you to look with me. Uh, you have Bibles in front of you, so this is going to be really easy. And, and you could do this in your head, but, but I really want to encourage you to actually pick a Bible up because I want to show you something that, that I learned studying this, which was really remarkable. And I, I think it'll be worth it. You'll get your money back. if Not your tithe money back, but you will get I'll give you something if you don't like this. But I think you will. So turn to Psalm 145, page 524. There's where the sharp turn takes place. And then it gets even sharper. So Psalm 145 uh, begins a section of the Psalms that our Jewish brothers and sisters is, is a part of their synagogue liturgy. And one of my Jewish friends, follower of Jesus, Thomas Boehm, you might know, he said that these prayers stoke the flames of the heart and prepare us to worship God. I, I love that. So Psalm 145 says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. So there's that turn towards praise. But I want you to notice Psalm 146, because something happens in these last five psalms, a literary structure that's really interesting. So Psalm 146, notice there what's it begin with. It begins with praise the Lord, or in Hebrew, hallelujah. And then skip down to the end of Psalm 146, verse 10. Notice how it ends. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Psalm 147, how does it begin? Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Psalm 147, flip the page. How does it end? Hallelujah. There's a pattern here. Psalm 148 begins and ends, praise the Lord. Psalm 149 begins and ends, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Psalm 150 begins, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Last three words in English in the Psalter is praise the Lord, hallelujah. Five Psalms, all beginning and ending with hallelujah, 10 hallelujahs. 10 is like this nice n- number of perfection. What is this God-breathed literary structure telling us? Well, I think it's telling us you've walked through the book of Psalms. You've had so many. You've prayed your tears. You've prayed for rescue. You've prayed your lament. You've prayed your pleas and your longings. But there's a last word in all of this, one Word gets the last word. It's the word hallelujah. That's the last word and I want you to notice that. And notice, this praise does not erase all of our laments but like the global church often teaches us, praise grows from lament even in the midst of sorrow and suffering there can still be praise. It's like a flower bursting out of this baked dry soil of lament and yet somehow it emerges and it grows and then pretty soon it grows and you don't even notice the soil anymore because the flower is magnificent. It's like this burst of huge sunflowers. That's how praise works. The African-American church also knows this really well. One version of a spiritual that you probably all know goes, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. One version says, nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. It's a prayer of lament. The first line and the third line are prayers of lament. One African-American theologian put it this way, African-Americans, we've been in the storm so long, traveling a lonesome journey, rambling and running, tore down, brokenhearted, troubled in mind by slavery and by discrimination. As a blues song says, we've been down so long, down don't bother me. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. And then the last line, glory, hallelujah, an exclamation mark. You go, where would that come from? That's praise, getting the last word. The African-American church, like that church in Papua New Guinea, they, and, and like many of you have experienced in your own life, because I know praise is not just in plenty, but it's also in poverty. Now, let me just hit a pause button here. Because sometimes things we say on Sunday morning, you hit Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday and you go, this isn't working the way the preacher said it's supposed to work. So I want to just ask, is this really possible? Is this wishful thinking, praise, in the midst of sorrow, is is that realistic? I have a verse that I printed in the, on the sermon page in your bulletin. And let me just read part of that for you. It's from the book of Isaiah. It says, it talks about putting on the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. I love that phrase, a spirit of heaviness, because I think we are living in a time, maybe every time has been like this, but we are living in a time where many people, many of you, you just feel oppressed by a spirit of heaviness. It could just be an emotional spirit, it could be a physical spirit, it could be a demonic spirit, but it's a spirit of heaviness. You know, like one of those um, lead coats you put on when you're getting your x-ray, and you put that big heavy thing on, and just, oh, and you feel it. It's like a weight on you. So many things wrong in our government. Spirit of heaviness. There's so many things wrong in my life. You don't know the sins I struggle with. You don't know some sins I committed this week. You don't know the fear, the anxiety that keeps me up in the middle of the night. You don't know the the aching for intimacy, for just for somebody to listen to me, for somebody to hold me. You don't know how hard that is sometimes. Who has the time and energy for praise? Spirit of heaviness just kind of takes over The 20th century Catholic writer Flannery O'Connor, she once said that we have domesticated despair and learned to live with it. We've domesticated despair and we've learned to live with it. In such an age, is praise even possible? Well, that question depends on two things. First, who, and second, how. Who are we praising when we praise the God made known to us in the Bible, in Israel, and in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ? Who are we praising? And the second question is, how? How can we sustain a life of praise in the midst of all the heaviness that we sometimes carry? So the who question. The Psalms of praise in the Bible almost always follow a pattern. So first, there will be a call to praise, an invitation to praise. So Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. That's that hand. Come on, come on, come in. And then the call to praise is followed by reasons for praise. So Psalm 150 verse 2 just gives two reasons. Praise him for his mighty deeds and praise him for his excellent greatness. Now, Psalm 150 is a little different because the reasons for praise are so short. It's almost like the psalmist is going, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I got it. I got it. I got tons of reasons to praise God. Let's just get at it now. I want to get into it right now. So he's impatient to just get into praise. But back up with me to Psalm 147. Here's probably a better example of what I'm talking about, the call and then the reasons. So here's how you'd outline this. So Psalm 147, verse 1 is a call to praise. Verses 2 through 6 are reasons for praise. Verse seven is a second call to praise. And then verse eight starts another whole list of reasons to praise. So let's just look at this. So verse one, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. And then reasons for praise. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. You see how the the Bible is giving us reasons for our praise. Let me just touch on a couple of them that are mentioned here, just so you get a flavor of what this is like. So, first of all, Verses 2 and 3 is re- referring to a real historical situation when the exiles were, when, when the people of Jerusalem were driven out of their city into exile, into a land of sorrow and into a land as refugees. And then the Lord is bringing them back now and he's saying, I am going to rebuild your city and I'm going to rebuild your lives. I'm going to heal the brokenhearted. So there's a historical, but then there's also us today. The Bible speaks to us today. And it's saying, today, I can heal the broken-hearted refugee. I can heal your broken heart. The Lord wants to heal the broken-hearted. Let's look at another one. He determines the number of stars. He gives to them all of their names. I saw a quote this week from a Christian guy, he's a scientist, he's an astronomer. He said, there are about 13 sextillion stars in the universe. That's 13 followed by 22 zeros. He says, our God knows exactly what's happening in every single one, but you know what he wants you to know? He wants a personal relationship with you coming from this astronomer and astrophysicist. That's something to praise God for. Verse six, God is a judge. God is gonna judge the wicked. Now, we think, oh, that's bad. That, no. The Psalms say, no, that's good. Because unlike you and me, who get justice wrong all the time, God's going to get it right. God knows every person's heart. God's justice, his judgment is going to be absolutely perfect. So the psalmist says, the trees, the trees in the forest dance for joy, knowing that God's coming as a judge. Again, these are just some reasons to praise. There's thousands of reasons in the book of Psalms alone. What happens when you enter into his presence with praise? You know, C.S. Lewis, when he was an atheist, after he became a Christian when he was an atheist, he said, those calls to praise God really irked me. They made me really angry because it just made God sound like, oh, you must praise me because I'm insecure, because I'm needy, because I'm egotistical. Like what kind of God would just demand all that praise? And Lewis said it really irked him. But then he began to notice, he said, I, he said, I began to notice that the world rings with praise. There's always, people are always praising things. Have you praised something this week? I bet you have. People praise blueberry cobbler. People praise a new song. People praise a movie. People praise uh, a work of literature. People praise a friend. Uh, people praise a spouse. People are always praising I was at a Cubs game on June 4th. A friend invited me. And I'm not particularly a Cubs fan. I'm from Minnesota, so I have no soft spot in my heart for the Cubs. But I was caught up in praise. They won 6-3. to three. Javier Baez went 3-4. for four. He hit a home run. He had this amazing slide into head first slide into first base. Who does that anymore? It was amazing. People were praising Javi. People were praising the pitcher. People were praising Joe Madden for his incredible decisions. People were staying after the game, just hanging around. Music was blaring, and they're dancing, and they're praising a beautiful summer night. Lewis said, we praise because we're delighted in something. And that delight, he said, is incomplete until it is expressed in praise. Praise is just a very human thing. But when we praise God, we are praising not just this good or that good. We are praising the source of all of those goods. We are praising the Holy One. We are praising the Just One. You see what happens when you praise? You are not filling up some need in God, but you are changing your own life through the presence of God. Your imagination is being shaped by God's character. Your affections and your desires are being rerouted according to God's paths. What you love is being reordered. And this is the basis for our life in the world. So you've probably been told many times, oh, you need to make a difference. You need to leave a legacy. You need to change the world. You need to be a world changer. You need to be an activist. You need to do this. You need to do that. But it all might be good, but how can you make a difference? How can you be a good person when you're not in constant touch with goodness itself in the living God? How can you pursue justice when you are not bowing before the just one? How can you be wise when you're not living under the wisdom of God? How can you be loving when you aren't constantly gazing on the God who is love, the Bible tells us? This is why it is good, and it is fitting, and it is beautiful to praise the Lord. That's the who question. Now, how? How can we sustain a life of praise? Well, I've already been talking about a couple things. The Bible, a source book for reasons why we can praise the Lord, creation, His creation, what some theologians have called God's second book. But I want to talk about something else this morning that you, we may not always think of, and that I haven't always thought of, and that is the church as a school of praise. In particular, I wanna talk about our Sunday morning worship services, what we would call our liturgy, the shape, the words, the prayers of our Sunday morning worship. If you pay attention, as I've had to do over the last 10 years, since I started coming to an Anglican church, you will see that it's laced with praise. Remember how Bishop Stewart started the service? Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Praise be God, and remember what you said? Blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. It starts with praise, so you come here, we're all distracted, we're all all over the place, and we come and we get reoriented around praise. And then we sang a song of praise. And then we sing the Gloria, this majestic ancient hymn of praise. And then the word of God is preached and, and read and preached. And, and we praise again. And then we recite the creed. And I'll just give you some highlights, not everything. We recite the creed, which could be just a dry re- repetition of facts. But it could also be a prayer of praise. Recounting who God is and what he's done. And then, and then we move around the table and, and we celebrate some more. And, and Bishop Stewart will say, lift up your hearts. And remember what you will say, we lift them up to the Lord. We're praising, we're getting oriented in praise. And then at the end of the service, we're sent forth by the deacon. And, and what is she doing when she sends us forth? She's saying, go into the world and praise the Lord, not just with your lips, but how you live your life how you do your work, how you study for classes, how you befriend people, how you live and move in your neighborhood. Praise the Lord. We're sent out. So Sunday after Sunday we are reoriented in praise. The church steeps us in this. But remember the church, we're not just saying our words. We're the body of Christ. We are conveying the words of Christ. So if Jesus is speaking through the liturgy, but if Jesus is speaking also through his word, the Psalms, and by the way, the early church was pretty uniform in saying that Christ himself is speaking in the words of the Psalms. It's the total Christ. Sometimes it's his head, Christ himself, sometimes it's his body, sometimes he's speaking for us or in us or through us or with us or ahead of us. Christ is speaking to us in the words of the Psalms as Augustine once said then he reads the, when he read the Old Testament when he read the Psalms, I meet Christ on every page and he refreshes me on every page. He's meeting Christ so if that is true, which I believe it is, If that is true, what is Jesus telling us through Psalm 150? Well, let me tell you what I I, I don't think he's saying. He's not saying, "I, I want you to put on a happy face. I want you to just forget your laments. I want you to pump yourself up. I want you to try harder to live a life of praise. That's adding another layer of a spirit of heaviness on your spirit of heaviness already. You don't need that. But I think what Jesus is saying is this. You can count on this as my son as my daughter, you can count on this. The last word is going to be praise. And I want to invite you into something. Praise him with trumpet sound, with lute and harp, with tambourine and dance, with strings and pipe, and sounding cymbals and loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I want you to join that. You're already a part of that if you're my follower. Look at the resurrection, Jesus might say. Look at the worst thing that happened, my death on the cross, but I smashed, as we're going to hear in our Eucharistic prayer, I I trampled Satan under feet and I rose from the dead. Even that couldn't hold me. So I think he would say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come with your spirit of heaviness. Come with a spirit of openness. Come with your guilt or shame. Did you hear the first scripture reading? Blessed be God, the Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's your inheritance in Christ. So come, bring your guilt or shame, bring your fear and anxiety, bring your spirit, heavy spirit of rage or cynicism or unbelief. Lay it down, bring it to me. Let me clothe you with the garment of praise. And maybe this morning just a little bit, little stalk of that flower will start shooting up. Leave your spirit of heaviness. Put on the garment of praise. For, Jesus might say, it is good to sing praises. It is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah.